0: To the Ridge Life Podcast, we truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. And if you're just joining with us, we've been uh, making our way here through uh, the Book of Philippians. And as we've been uh, looking at a few of these uh, things here, these last few things that Paul is talking about here in Philippians 4, uh, we've already covered about the command to be rejoicing always, Um, and then uh, last week we looked at this command of being forbearing, uh, the idea of pop-it-out type stuff, Uh, having the right type of attitude towards our prayer. And also how it deals uh, with the anxiety that all of us uh, do face in our lives in in one time or another. And so Paul really lays this foundation about um, how we can be uh, free from anxiety through having the right type of prayer. But all of that is within the context of rejoicing always, letting your forbearance uh, being known and I believe Paul lived this out very well because if you can remember, the type of uh, life that Paul was uh, found himself there, he was uh, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, there were people that were slandering him, saying that his ministry was not uh, uh, what it should be, uh, but he had the right mindset. He he chose to rejoice, even though the circumstances uh, seemed dismal. He let his forbearance be known, and more importantly, uh, Without a doubt, I'm sure that there were times that Paul found himself being anxious or worried about the situations in life, but he says that uh, we can uh, find the peace of God even in times when we're anxious, and that comes through proper prayer. And so this morning, we're going to talk about God's cure for worry, and all of us in here without a doubt have had an encounter with worry one time or another. And uh, you'll find it it eats away at you. It just gnaws at you on the inside. Uh, it causes your mind to go back and forth. Uh, there's people that can't sleep because they're worried about things. And uh, God's word tells us that uh, we can have... Uh, the cure for worry, uh, worry and anxiety. And uh, God's word gives us the answers of how we can find peace through prayer. So this is what I would like for you to take away with you uh, this morning. To find peace when I worry, I need to obey the teachings of scripture. So to find peace when I'm worried or when I have anxiety, whatever it may be, I need to obey the teachings of scripture. So let's take a look here at our text here, what, uh, what Paul writes here. First of all, remember the Lord is near. Look what he says here in beginning of verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so the next phrase here in verse 5, it tells us, it says that the Lord is at hand. And then he continues, do not be anxious about anything. And so if we're going to find peace in my life when I am worried about things, we have to remember that the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Now, within the context of this passage, Paul is stressing the importance of remembering the nearness of his presence. We must remember that God is omnipresent. That's a a big theological word that we use to describe what God is like. And basically, it simply means that God is present everywhere at the same time. He's the only one that is omnipresent, And so we must remember that the Lord is near. He knows our situation. He knows what's going on. And we must remember that he is near. He's omnipresent. This is part of the mystery of the spiritual realm. Uh, For example, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us. Hebrews chapter 7, 25, and also Hebrews 8, 1, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. In Matthew 28, 20, we are reminded that he is keeping his promise to be with us always, even unto the end of the age. He's with us. He's presently with us. Hebrews thirteen five we are told that the Lord promises never to desert us or forsake us. The reality of this is brought home even more to us when we remember Romans chapter eight, verse number one, uh, excuse me, 8, 11, which says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's dwelling in us. The Lord is at hand. We need not be anxious or worried about the situations that we uh, may find ourselves in because the Lord is at hand. He is near us. Our Lord is not off in some distant place where he cannot hear us. He is near. And in fact, through the Holy Spirit, he is living within us and through us. I really love the placement of this phrase within this text because it comes right after rejoicing and forbearing and right before addressing our anxiousness and finding peace through prayer. Do you see the connection there? Rejoice in the Lord. Let your forbearance be known. The Lord is at hand. He is near. Don't be worried about things. The Lord's near presence also brings the comfort of being able to bring before him quickly anything that is on my heart, and I know that he will listen and respond to my cries. I can then rest in his peace. That is the foundation for dealing with anxiety through prayer, is to recognize that the Lord is near. And isn't it interesting when we find ourselves, when we're worried about things, that we sometimes live or act as if God maybe doesn't care about what's going on or he can't even handle the situation. And we live that way. We live as if God is just distant from us and we just kind of have to go through this through life by ourselves. The Lord is near. Remember, the Lord is near. Here's the second thing. Stop worrying Look what he says here, again, verse number six. Do not be anxious about some things. Only the big things. Don't be anxious about anything. You see, the Christian life is a constant struggle of putting off and putting on. That's what sanctification is. We're putting off sinful habits and we're putting on the habits that God wants us to live in. It's a constant struggle of doing that, putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. If you can remember in Ephesians chapter four, Paul gave that list of things. Do not lie one to another, but rather what? Speak truth. Put off the old man but then put on the new man, which is renewed in Christ Jesus. It's a constant struggle day-to-day living that we do that. And here, it's no different. Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything. This is a command. You see, anxiety or worry describe the condition of feeling disturbed or even depressed through fear regarding some event or an outcome. The word here that we find in our text for anxious means to be drawn in different directions. And it is derived from a root meaning to be thoughtful. We find it related to another word meaning to be, to remember. So to be anxious, to worry, is to be troubled with the cares. When we are worrying or being anxious, we are entertaining our thoughts of the uncertainty. This causes the mind to go back and forth about the possible outcomes and how to react to them. Your mind is being pulled in opposite directions constantly because you're worrying about it. You see, worry has been shown to cause all sorts of problems ranging from loss of productivity to relationship conflicts, to medical conditions, including ulcers, headaches, neck and back aches, vision problems, and even one dentist found that it even accelerated tooth decay because we're worried. Luke chapter 21, 34 tells us that worry weighs people down. Luke chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus reminds us, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to their lifespan. Think about that. We cannot even decide the outcome of the length of our life. So why do we worry about it? I think we have seen that play out even this past year, have we not? Very worried about things. Trying to preserve our life. And Jesus says, by worrying, you cannot even add a single hour to your lifespan. If we're going to die today, rest assured that God has that planned. If you're going to die tomorrow, rest assured that God has that planned. If you live another year or even 10 years, that's in God's plan, it's not in yours. It's not in mine. He alone is the one that knows the appointed time. Worry has never solved a problem. Worry, uh, people that worry about all sorts of things, the Bible records for us, people worrying about, uh, for example, in Matthew 6.25, they worry about life. Matthew 6.28, Jesus says that people worry about clothing. Matthew 6.31, Jesus says people worry about food and drink. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, that people worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow. Luke chapter 12, verse 11, people worry about what to say. And even in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, people even worry about hosting people over to their house. People in our society do not worry very often today about getting food, but they do worry about losing weight. They do not worry about having clothes, but they do worry about having the right kind of clothes to be fashionable. You see, being anxious, people worry about serious things and not so serious things. Ranging from mortgage bills to health issues to bad breath and hair color. You see, worry is as useless as sawing sawdust. It does us no good. Yet it controls the lives of so many people, including many Christians. We're reminded in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus even said, be anxious for nothing. Reading through what Jesus says, Jesus makes it clear that anxiety stems from a lack of faith and a wrong focus on the things of this world instead of on the kingdom of God. Especially in verses 30 and 33. Listen to his words here, beginning verse number 30. He says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye, of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, the people who are worldly, the Gentiles. He says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, if we're going to overcome worry, we have to confront the root cause of it, namely our sin of not believing God and not seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. You see, when we worry, we are showing a lack of faith in God and practicing a worldly mindset. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives us the parable of the sower. And we find in verse number 14 a very interesting statement about the seed that falls among the thorns. Jesus warns in verse number 14 that the seed which fell among the thorns represents those who have heard the gospel. And this is what he says. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures in this life and bring no fruit to maturity. The word that Jesus uses there, it worries, is related to the word here is anxious in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. The scary thing about Jesus' words is this, is that, and as I understand this parable, only one of those groups there is truly saved. And that's the seed that falls on good ground and it brings forth fruit. There's fruit, there's perseverance there. Those who profess to believe but then get choked out by worries, riches and pleasures have never taken self off the throne of their lives and put Jesus and his kingdom on the throne. They are deceived into thinking that they are Christians when they're really not. They're just living with the same focus that the world has. They're choked. They only care about the pleasures of this world and what is going on in this world. Are you saying if I worry that I'm not saved? No. But the fact is that the true believers don't continue persistently in sin. They are seeking to live differently. In relation to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, this means that what we have here is not just a simple formula. If you're anxious, try prayer, it works. That's not what he's saying here. We have to deal with the root problem of the heart, and the root problem is either a lack of faith in God or you're living for yourself and not for Christ and his kingdom. Whatever the root cause is, anxiety is sin that must be confessed to God and it must be put off. And this is a daily struggle. Some of us are plagued with worrying all the time. And we have to constantly be giving this over to the Lord, confessing it to the Lord as sin. This is sanctification. This is how this works. This is what God is doing in our life. We're not saved from the presence of sin right now. We will be one day. When Christ returns and we're given a new body, we will be saved from the presence of sin. But we still live in this world. There's still sin that is around us. We still live in a body that is sinful and corrupt. And so our minds and our hearts think things and do things that are not right. And so we have to constantly be putting those things off and renewing our minds and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatever the root cause is, anxiety is sin that must be confessed. And so once we put off that sin, then we can move on, uh, can help us to not being anxious. So here's the third thing. Start praying about anxiety everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I find it interesting in how many things we worry about or how many things we think that God perhaps is not interested in uh, what we worry about. In Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, he covers the necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter. Paul's command here in Philippians 4, 6 takes care of anything else that you could possibly ever fit into a list. Anything. Do not be anxious about anything is what he says. So he says, if you can think about it, you can bring it before the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever you're worried about, you can bring it before the Lord. There's nothing that's left out. Everything can be brought to God in prayer. So if you're worried about it, then rest assured that you can pray about it. In this verse, Paul gives us four aspects to proper prayer. And look what he says. He uses these words. There's prayer, there's supplication, there's thankfulness, thanksgiving, and request. And by looking at each one of these words individually, it gives us the the whole picture of really what prayer is. And so when we learn how to pray the way that God tells us to do these things, we can actually deal with the anxiety and the worry that plagues our minds and our hearts. So let's examine each one of them. So first of all, there's the word prayer. This word prayer is always used in reference to God. It signifies a worshipful approach to To God that includes reverence and adoration. We can bring everything to God in prayer. We can come to him with anything that is on our heart or mind, but we do need to come with the right attitude. God is still God, not a benevolent grandpa or a magic genie. He's God. He's the creator. He's holy. In Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 15, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And one of the things that he teaches them is that we come to God with the recognition that he is our father who is in heaven and whose name is to be hallowed. So we must always approach God with reverence, honor, and respect. So he says, you approach God, whatever it is that you're worried about, you're approaching him as a father, And you're recognizing that he is in control, that he is God, and he alone is the creator. And we are bringing our worries, our cares to him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 reminds us that through our high priest, the Lord Jesus, God invites us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in the help in time of need. As believers, we are all priests before God and we are able to draw near directly to him in effectual prayer. Second word, look what he says here. But in everything by prayer and supplication. The words for supplication here has an original meaning of to want, to lack, to desire, to long for, to ask, or to beg. It is translated as pray, supplication, and Petition. It's a general word for prayer, but the word is not limited to usage with just that of God. Supplication is often a specific petition for a particular benefit. We pray in general in talking with God, but we also may make supplication, which is petitioning God to do something in regards to a specific need. Remember that even in prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he included that they are to make supplication for their needs, including their daily bread. God desires to have us ask for him those things that are on our hearts. We only need to remember that we are not to ask to consume it upon our own lust, is what James chapter four teaches us. We are to ask in accordance to his will and he will see fit to provide for it. John Calvin, a French theologian in the 1500s had this to say about prayer and supplications. Prayer is not so much for God's sake as for ours. It shows us our total need for God himself And not just for certain temporal benefits, it casts us in dependence on him so that we will seek love and serve him while we become accustomed in every need to flee to him as to a sacred anchor. It purifies our desires since we must bring them to God himself. It prepares us to receive, thankfully, what he gives, being reminded that it comes from his hand. It helps us to meditate on his kindness as we delight in what he has given. It confirms to us our weakness and God's great providence and faithfulness in meeting our needs. It's coming before the Lord and begging him, desiring him. Wanting Him, your dependence upon Him. Thirdly, look at this word, thanksgiving. This word is an acknowledgement of grace received. It is thanks given to God for physical provision, spiritual provision, people and himself. This is an element of worship that is part of true prayer. Thanksgiving. When you're anxious, presumably you're in a situation at the that gives some cause for anxiety, does it not? But we are supposed to be thankful. We're supposed to be rejoicing. We're supposed to be letting our forbearance, our gentleness, our long-suffering be known. You see, at times of anxiety, at times of worry, probably thankfulness is probably not on our radar at all. Because we're looking at our situation and we're going, what am I going to do? I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And we're anxious about the whole situation. But God's word tells us that we go to him in prayer and we offer up thanksgiving to him. Remember the verses we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16? Through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. We have to be thankful in times when we are worried or anxious. And we do that through prayer, offering up thanksgiving to God. So how can I be thankful in the most difficult, stressful, and worrisome times in my life? Well, here's just a few things. Number one, remember what God has done for you in the past. You think back over his faithfulness to you up to this point and realize that his mercies have sustained you. He has taken care of you. He has been faithful. He has provided He's been with you in every trial. He never abandoned you or forsook you. Even in the face of persecution or death, Jesus says, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. And so we can remember what God has done in the past. Secondly, submit to God's control over my situation in the present. To thank God in the midst of a crisis or trial is to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I submit to your sovereign purpose in this situation. I trust that you know what you're doing and we'll work it together for good. You see, we're not just to thank God when we feel like it, but also when we don't. First Thessalonians 5.18 says this, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, trust that God is sufficient for the future. A thankful heart rests upon the all-sufficient God, knowing that even though we don't see how he is going to do it, he will meet our every need as we cast ourselves on him. That's because of his promises that he has given to us in his word. That's why it is so important that we maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ through his word. We get the right perspective. We understand what he's saying. Look at the last word here. So we have prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Here's the last one, request. This word carries the same idea as supplication, emphasizing the specific requests to the Lord. So often our prayers are so vague and general that we couldn't know whether God had answered them or not. we have to be specific so here i am i'm worrying about something the roof's got to get replaced on the house uh-oh i saw a leak it was leaking down the wall over there this is happening i just got a phone call about this doctor called me about that and we're worrying about it what do we do we go to god in prayer And we thank, we are thankful towards him. We're letting our requests be known to him. We're giving up our supplications towards him. We don't ask God to change the situation. We ask God to be present with us in the situation. So many times I think that what we, our requests are God change this. I don't like this situation that I am in. I want you to change it. Could it be that God has designed that situation for you for a purpose so that way you will depend upon him more? Is that not what the situation that Paul found himself in? Three times he asked the Lord to remove the thorn that was given to him, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. To persecute him, to just bring about just some, some turmoil in his life. And what did, what was the Lord's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. So our request, there's specific requests. Jesus said in Matthew 7:7: 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And he goes on to illustrate the point by saying that if a boy asks his father for a loaf of bread, the dad won't give him a stone. If he asks for a fish to eat, the dad won't give him a snake. And he says this in verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Ask the father And if it's for your good and according to his will, he will give it to you. But we have to have proper prayer. So if it's big enough to make me anxious, it's certainly big enough to ask God about it. So what is the result in all this? Check it out. Verse number seven, God promises peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what the result is from, our, from praying properly here. God promises us his peace. Remember, the world has a fake peace, not as the world gives, Jesus says. There's a fake peace that the world gives. Jesus gives us real peace, true peace, The peace that comes from God is real. The peace that God gives comes from himself. Think about this. The perfect, powerful, all-knowing God is the one who gives you his peace. God is never anxious. God is never up there in heaven wringing his hands. He's never up there pacing back and forth. He knows everything that's going on. And he says, when we come to him in prayer, he will give us his peace. Notice what his peace does. Look what he says here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard. And what is it? It's guarding. He says, your hearts and your minds. Our hearts is a term to describe the whole of the person. Our mind is specifically our thoughts, which threaten to trouble us. He says, the peace of God will stand like a guard to keep that anxiety or that worry from troubling you. But we don't get that unless we're coming to him in prayer. And this is where it gets good. Look at the text again. Don't miss this. I love this. He says, they will guard your hearts and your minds. God's peace is standing guard over hearts and our minds in what? In Christ Jesus. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, we are in intimate, permanent union with him. And to get to us, anxiety must go through where? Where? Jesus Christ. So what God promises isn't just a quick fix where a prayer is some technique, okay, that'll bring you a calm till you get through the crisis. Paul is talking about an ongoing, deepening, depending relationship with God, making your request known unto him, whatever it is that we're worried about. And so he grants us peace. The nearness of God is the peace. And so when we do this, God promises peace. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.